Father, um, maybe some of us are here this morning and we, uh, we don't know why we're here. Maybe we're here because uh, someone's been asking us, maybe even bugging us to be here. Maybe, God, we're here because our spouse is here. Maybe, God, we're here because that's what you do on Sunday. But, God, may we not forget in the reality that you meet with us here. That, God, your presence is here to meet with us. That your heart drew us here. Your love for us is the reason, the real reason we're here. God, may we realize that. You're waiting to meet with us this morning. That, God, if we're hurting, you're, you're waiting to comfort us. God, if we're confused, you're waiting to guide us. God, if we're scared, you're waiting to hold us and to strengthen us. So God, may we meet with you this morning. We love you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let me steal this real quick. I forgot to get a podium earlier. Excuse me. Uh, I need to hire a a new guy for that. Um, But anyway, I don't know. Get on that, Brother John. All right. Uh, well, we, uh, uh, we've been doing a series called You Have Heard It Said, uh, and, and what we're looking at is Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 is saying, look, you have, you have heard that if you do this, then that's good enough. If you want to be righteous, then you act like this. And the reality is a lot, a lot of what, uh, what they said were just outer things. They were just uh, things that people did, and, and, and the, the reality is they were missing their heart. And so what Jesus is saying to us is he's saying, like, look, I don't, I don't need you to go do these things for me. You know, I, I don't, you know, you, you uh, uh, doing all these nice things, I don't need that. What I want, what I desire is your heart, okay? And so if, you're, if your actions are great and you look like a nice person and, hey, I, you know, I don't, I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't cuss, I vote Republican, that's all good, okay? But if your heart's far from me, I, I, don't, I don't want you. If your heart's far from me, you're not mine. No matter how good you look, no matter how many churches you visit, your heart's not mine, then, then you aren't mine. And so what he's doing is he's, he's saying that, look, this whole try to make yourself look good, try to do better, try to, what, that's not what I'm after. I'm after your heart. And so what we're looking at uh, is, uh, are these statements by Jesus. And so to catch you up, if you haven't been with us, uh, we, we looked at the very first week, um, we looked at, you've heard it said, um, uh, uh, don't kill, okay? So you go, okay, yeah, I don't kill anybody, so I'm good. And Jesus says, no, no, no. But do you have anger in your heart towards your brother? Are you unloving? Do you, do you have a, a heart? that's not willing to forgive, then that's a problem. Go to the, go to the heart. Then we looked at uh, uh, don't commit adultery. Okay, cool, I'm, I'm good. I, I haven't done that. And then he says, but, but how, where's your mind been? Have you been, have you been thinking about other people? Have, have, you, have you made sexuality an object instead of an experience with someone that God brought you together in marriage? And so, again, he's, he's going after the heart. And we looked at last week, divorce. And God says, no, 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 okay, okay, you're talking about don't get divorced and all these things. No, 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 what's your marriage like? That's what I want to know. Where's your heart? Do you serve husbands? Do you serve your wife as Christ served the church? And, and wives, do you, do you submit to your husband? Meaning, do you give a loving 
loving, trusting support to your husband. So, so again, Jesus is attacking the heart of the issue. And so we're going to continue that this morning. And to kind of give you an idea of where we're going, I need to tell you a quick story. Um, there was a couple, and they were driving in the car, and they got pulled over. And um, the officer gets the husband out of the car. And so he says to the, he says to the husband, excuse me, um, do you know that you're going 85 miles an hour in a 65-mile-an-hour zone? He says, officer, that's, that's impossible. Okay, like I am a law-abiding citizen. I don't even know if this car can go that fast. You know, I do not break the law. So he leans down and looks in the window and says, ma'am, is that true? And she says, absolutely not. He's a crazy driver. Uh, he speeds at every chance he can get. I'm terrified to be in the car with him. All right, sir, I also noticed not only were you going 85, but you didn't have your seatbelt on. Is that, is that true? Officer, come on. I am all about safety. All right, like I'm wearing two belts now, okay? Like I am all about safety, all right? I always wear my seatbelt. Even if I'm sitting, if I'm parked somewhere, I put my seatbelt on. That's the type of person I am. So he leans down, ma'am, is that true? Absolutely not. He never wears a seatbelt. In fact, I don't even know if a seatbelt works. Like I have never, ever seen him wear a seatbelt. And so he leans in the window and he says, are you crazy, woman? Are you out of your mind? All right, would you keep your big fat nose out of my business? And the officer leaned in the window, ma'am, does he always talk to you like that? And she says, absolutely not, only when he's drunk. So I, sometimes, sometimes telling the truth isn't easy, all right? And sometimes it costs us a lot. But the reality is, uh, it, you know, are you going to be a person of truth? And are you going to be a person of integrity? Or are you not? And that's what Jesus is talking about uh, in the scripture we're looking at today. And so we're talking about integrity this morning. Um, and so we're going to look at the standard that Jesus set. So if you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, uh, but you have an iPhone, Blackberry, Android, or an iPad, or anything else that has an I in front of it, uh, you can go to uversion.com and you can uh, follow along in the, in the Bible there. Or you can go to your app store and find one there. It's free, and, and I highly recommend it. Matthew chapter 5, verse 33 through 37. Let's read this together. Again, you have heard that it was said uh, from the, to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. So let's start there. Verse 33. Check, check this out. He says, Again, you've heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. And so, and so in, the, in the Old Testament times, basically, if we're talking and we're, you know, like I'm telling you something, if I really want you to believe me, then I would evoke the name of the Lord and, on that, and that's it. Done deal. Okay, because when I say the name of Yahweh that we both respect, I'm not just, my, my obligation is no longer just to you, but it's to God as well. And so what I'm saying is, if I don't fulfill what I've told you, or with, if what I said is false, then, then may God uh, punish me for that. So that was a big deal. It was whatever you say in the name of Yahweh, in the name of God, then you've got to fulfill it. And it's kind of like, you know, as a parent, you always say, you know, well, why? Because I said so, and you know, that's like, that's it, right? And by the way, probably the thing I'm most excited about to use one day with my son. Like, I know he doesn't really know what I'm saying now, but I say it all the time, all right? You know what I mean? Like, son, you know, I love you. 
because I said so, right? Like, I know it doesn't make sense, but I just want to say it, all right? Like, I've always looked forward to that. But that's what they would say. Like, if, if we invoke the name of Yahweh, we know that we both respect that name. It's over, okay? End of the argument. That's it. We know that that's true. And so here's the thing. They wanted to make these commitments. They wanted to make these oaths with people, but they didn't want to evoke the name of Yahweh because that's a big deal, right? And, and we only do that very seldomly in our culture. We only do that in really serious situations. Like, like when, you, when you take the covenant of marriage, that's between you and your spouse and God. When you, uh, when you go to swear in at a, at a, a court, what do you do? You're, you're, you're absolutely swearing in that, that um, uh, uh, in front of God and these witnesses that you're going to tell the truth. And so we, we rarely do that in our culture. And so they said, you know what, we want to do that more, but ugh, I'm not going to evoke Yahweh, right? Because if I don't do what I said, I don't want to have the consequences of that. And so what they would do is they would pick things that were like close to God, like things of God, but they weren't God. And so they would throw stuff out all the time. Like, you know what I mean? Like, uh, oh man, you should have seen it. We were running here and dude just fell and just, just busted his face. It was awesome. Really, that happened? Yeah, oh, I swear by heaven. Really, I swear by heaven, right? So they would say these things. Uh, they would take all of these oaths and they would do it flippantly. So look at the scripture here, verse 34 through 36. They used heaven, earth, Jerusalem, even their own head. And since it wasn't what the law actually said, that they weren't evoking the name of God, the name of Yahweh, then they didn't really have to keep their word. You know, it really didn't hold the same weight. Um, and so what Jesus is saying here, he's saying, look, you're belittling the things of God when you do this. Look at what he says. He says, don't take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it's the throne of God. Don't belittle the throne of God. He says, or by earth, because it's his footstool. Or, or by Jerusalem, because it's the city of the great king. Or... Don't take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. It all belongs to God. So Jesus sets a new standard in verse 37. He says, let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more uh, than this comes from evil. Jesus, what he's doing here is getting to the heart of the matter. He's saying, this isn't just about oaths. This isn't just about swearing by whatever. This is about integrity. Are you going to do what you said? Are you going to be a people of truth or are you not? Think about it. Think about the people that are um, full of integrity. And when they tell you something, do they have to swear by anything for you to believe them? No, because they're full of integrity. They don't need oaths. However, someone who's crooked, someone who's evil, someone who you don't trust, what do they have to do? They have to swear by an oath because I don't trust them. And what he's saying is you need to be people of integrity, people of truth, so much so that your yes is yes. There is no oath. I don't need an oath. Number one, I don't have the right to swear an oath because none of this is mine. What can I swear by? But also, he's saying, you don't need one because you're a person of integrity. Um, and so Jesus is saying that, live lives of integrity. Forget wordplay, forget oaths and all that. Just live lives of integrity because in, each, in this life of integrity, there's freedom. I've said this almost every week, and it's true, and I'll probably say it every single week. But God's law is for your joy, not your begrudging submission. When God sets this up and he says, Be, live a life of integrity, he's saying that for freedom. Do you understand? Think about it. Think about when you don't live lives of integrity, how much deceit you have to keep up with. Seriously. Like, think about when, you, when you're bending the truth here, or, or you're, you, know, you're, you don't do what you said to this person, so maybe there's some, there's some bad blood here. But, you know, and you have to keep up with all that deceit. Like, he's saying, that's not freedom. That's not real life. Real life is integrity. There's freedom in that. Um, and it's kind of like uh, there were these four students, and 
they didn't want to go take the exam. And so they were all hanging out together and they were skipping school. And then they thought, okay, what we'll do is we'll skip the school. You know, we didn't study and, uh, and she'll let us take the makeup exam. So they get to school and they go, okay, okay, what, what can we say was the reason we weren't here? Oh, we had a flat tire. Flat tire? Good. Okay, good. So we had a flat tire. So they go in and they say to the teacher, I'm sorry, I can't take this. We couldn't take this exam. We couldn't be here. We had a flat tire. And she said, that's fine. That's fine. I'll let you make up the exam. Uh, and, and if you answer one question correctly, uh, then you pass. And they said, great. So she puts them all in four corners of the room where they're separate. And the one, they flip the sheet over. And the one question was, which tire? So integrity there's freedom in, in integrity isn't there there's freedom in that integrity um and so what is integrity and uh, uh i know this isn't an original i know dr rogers adrian rogers my pastor growing up i know he didn't originally say this but he always said this all the time he says integrity is what you do when no one is watching integrity is what you do when no one is watching in other words integrity is who you are when no one else knows do you understand and so, so in other words, what do, the, what do lives of integrity look like? They're lives of consistency. That's a life of integrity, a life of consistency. Who you are here this morning, you know, smiles and, you know, hey, everything's good. Um, that's who you should be the rest of the week. If that's not who you are through the rest of the week, then stop acting like that now. It's lives of consistency. Um, and so we see here, I want to give you an example. There was... Um, the uh, Bulldogs of Rockdale County High School. Uh, they had a coach, Coach Cleveland Stroud, and they won, uh, they had a championship season in basketball. They won 21 games with five losses, and when, the way that they actually won uh, the championship game, it was a come-from-behind come win, and it was really exciting. So it was the first trophy they had in their school case. But now, if you go to their school, the school case, that, the trophy case is empty. That trophy's gone. Because what happened, they found out that one of the players who played 45 seconds of a postseason game, 45 seconds, didn't, didn't change the game at all, was not an, an integral part to their team at all, he was uh, academically ineligible. They didn't know it at the time, they found out after they won the championship that he was academically ineligible to play. And so the coach uh, alerted the, uh, uh, whoever the board of people are for that and let them know that we had a player who played for 45 seconds and he was academically ineligible. And they took the trophy away and they gave it to the team that they faced in the championship. And, the, and when they asked about it, the coach said a lot of people told him, it's just 45 seconds, it's no big deal, okay? Like this, this isn't, like that. no one else has to know this. You know, your players know it, but no one else has to know this. And here's what he said. Here's what he said to his team. He said, I told my team that people forget the scores of basketball games, but they don't forget what you're made of. It's about living lives of integrity. Uh, I, I told you earlier that as we talk about all these things in Matthew chapter 5, if you go to the beginning and see the Beatitudes, where Jesus says, this is the type of person you are, this is what your heart should be like, one of the things that he said was, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And what that means is, blessed are those who, who are not uh, uh, split in their focus. Your affections aren't split. Like, I'm going to live for me, okay? I got my Jesus stuff over here. On Sundays, I'm awesome. I'm doing good with all that Jesus stuff. But then like the rest of the week, that's all me, okay? Or, you know, I do really good with the Jesus stuff in public, but when I get home with my family, I have the right to act however I want, to treat whoever I want the way I want to be treated because it's my house. And 
No, no, no. Pure in heart is focused. It's, it's unadulterated. It's, it's, not, it's not watered down. It's focused on one thing, one affection, and that affection is Jesus. And so what, what, that's a life of integrity, a focused heart, a consistent heart. What is the biggest thing that can ruin that in our lives? What's the biggest thing that can make our hearts and divide them? Uh, and, and I think the thing that pollutes a pure heart, confuses a focused heart more than anything else, is compromise. And compromise is always subtle. It's always subtle. Um, there's a family who bought a ranch, and uh, they were trying to decide what to, what to, to name the ranch. Because, you know, whatever you name the ranch, you've got to make it into a brand so you can brand your cattle and all these things. So they bought all this cattle at this big ranch. And so the dad decided that he was going to name it uh, Bar J. That's what he wanted to name it, Bar-J. That's what he wanted it to be. And so then his wife said, no, well, I want to call it Susie Q. And so he said, okay, Bar-J, Susie So compromise, okay? Like, all right, I want it to be Bar-J, but all right, Su- Bar-J, Susie Q. And then the son said, I like Flying W. So, okay, all right, fine. We'll add that too, all right? We'll just put that in there. And then the, the, uh, the daughter wanted, I like Lazy Y. I like that one, Lazy Y. And the father said, okay, fine, fine. And so then uh, uh, someone that was visiting and they're talking about the name said, um, it, the, the father finally said, so what we're calling it is Bar J, Susie Q, Flying W, Lazy y, Lazy y. And the person, the friend said, so where are all the cattle? And they said, none of them survived the branding. So it's subtle, right? Compromise is subtle, okay? But the thing is, is that it adds up and it adds up and it becomes a destructive force in our lives. And so I want us to look at the life of someone who is like that. And we're going to look at the life of Samson. And so I think we have an image of Samson up here. Uh, oh, did you, did you just really? Did you just, okay, there we go. Okay, that's our modern Samson. Okay, but no, but for real. Okay, okay, Samson. All right, that's, that's what we think of when we think of Samson. Let me, let, let me kind of say something about Samson. Samson was not your normal birth, okay? Like, if there's an angel involved that comes to your parents and tells you you're going to have a son, that's not a normal deal, all right? And that's exactly what happened in the case um, of Samson. My dad said that a spirit appeared to him to tell him that he was going to have me, but he didn't say it was an angel. Dad, what was that? We'll talk later. All right, so anyway... Um, Anyway, uh, I was kidding, bad joke. But anyway, so Samson, uh, an angel appeared to him, and they said that he's going to be set apart for God. And so he's going to be a word that you might have heard before, a Nazarite. And a Nazarite is someone who, that's exactly what they are. They're set apart for the service of God. Now, sometimes Nazarites, they only did it for a portion of their life. That's not Samson's call here. He was called to be set apart as a Nazarite for life. Now let me give you some, some things. Like Nazarites, to be set apart for life for God, uh, there were things that they had to follow. And in Judges chapter 13, it, it, clearly, it clearly shows that for Samson's life. And so I want to go through real quick and, and show you some of the things. The first thing they had to do was they had to abstain from wine and all products of the vine, uh, separate uh, him or her from normal social occasions and the lure of temporal luxury and excess. So they couldn't, they couldn't drink anything from the, uh, the fruit of the vine. So they couldn't drink wine or anything like that. The second thing they couldn't do uh, was that they were separated from the corruption of death. So they, they could not be around corpses. Okay? And so you're like, I, I think I'm a Nazarite. I know, all right? But you're just a coward. So they couldn't be around corpses, all right? And then the third thing, which is the one that you know more than any, is that they couldn't cut their hair. Because cutting the hair, the crown of one's head becomes a visible sign of the Nazarite's sworn oath and consecration to Yahweh. 
Um, and so if you got this crazy do out, you're like, okay, that guy's following Yahweh, right? Like, so it was, it was those three things that they kept. And so I want to kind of run through real quick the story of Samson's life. A lot of you guys know some, like, highlights of his life, you know, uh, top ten plays, if you will, of his life. Uh, you know about the, uh, you know about the lion and... You know about, you know, uh, killing a thousand Philistines with, uh, with the jawbone of a donkey. You guys know all of that, but I want to kind of run through his life, and I want to show you something about Samson's life. Samson's life ended tragically, and it ended tragically because he allowed compromise after compromise to slip in and sink into his life until finally he was in a place he didn't know how he got there. So let, let me show this to you. One, one of the first things that, that you see is that story, that picture we had up there of Samson ripping that lion apart. It says that this lion jumped, it lunged at him. The Spirit of the Lord came over him. He caught that lion and just ripped its jaws open. Just like, whoop, right? You know, and uh, so like, I, I don't know if I could do that to a house cat, but he did it to a lion, all right? And so he rips it apart, and here's the thing. He's journeying back by there later, and there's the corpse of the lion laying there. And in the corpse of the lion, some bees have made honey um, in the corpse of the lion. And you're like, gross. I know, but look, there weren't, there weren't Wendy's, all right? So what are you going to do? And so he was hungry, and so instead of trusting the Lord to provide for him in a way that would not defile him as a Nazarite, he compromised. And so he ate. He took from that, that corpse of that lion, which was a compromise of his vow to God as a Nazarite. And it, it, you say, well, hang on, Grant. That's, a, that's nothing, okay? That's not a big deal. That's a, it's barely a compromise. That's how it starts, okay? And so let's keep going through his life. This is the first sign of compromise we see in his life. Then he's uh, about to marry this woman, and so he gives out a riddle. This is a crazy story. He gives out a riddle uh, to his groomsmen. There's 30 of them. And he says, if you can figure out this riddle, and basically, he makes up a riddle about the honey and the lion. He says, if you can figure out this riddle, I'll give you 30 garments, okay? And so they, uh, they threaten his, his wife uh, and say, if you don't tell us what this is, we're going to kill you or kill your family. And so she says, okay, here's the answer. And so they tell him the answer. He's so angry that he goes out and he kills 30 Philistines, takes their clothes, and says, here, have them. Right? Like, he is so, so angry. Now, while he's out, his, uh, the father-in-law takes his bride and gives, uh, gives her away to another man. And so, he's a little upset about that. And so, what he does is he takes uh, 300 foxes. He attaches torches to the ends of their tails and then lets them run through the city. And they burn down uh, all, all the crops of the Philistines in all kinds of parts of their city. And so, they're angry. Uh, and at that point... Uh, the Philistines come and they burn his father-in-law and his wife to death. They burn them alive. And again, you've got to think, like, is this part of the compromise that he let in that, that he started to become more inwardly focused as opposed to what God would have him do by leading Israel? And he started to act selfishly? Maybe so. And so anyway, what happened then was that the Philistines, they came to the uh, 2,000 men of Judah and they said, look, we're, we need Samson. You've got to give us to him. And so they say, Samson, can we hand you over? And he says, okay, fine. So they bind him with a rope. And you guys know the rest of the story. He busts it open. He takes the jawbone of a donkey and he kills 1,000 Philistines with it. All right? And so then uh, we see that after that, it says at the end of chapter 15 in Judges that he judged and he led Israel for uh, 20 years. So then something interesting happens. Judges 16 happens. And, and if, if it had ended there, maybe we would be talking about Samson differently. Maybe we would be saying like, man, what a, what a great guy. Like that's a hero in the faith, right? But then chapter 16 happened. And here's the thing. I don't know how much time lapsed 
between him killing the Philistines into now, into chapter 16. I have no idea how much time lapsed. However, we see a very, very, very different Samson. Samson allowed small compromises to enter his life in chapter 15. In chapter 16, Samson is a man of compromise, period. A man of compromise. So we don't get to see that full transition. However, we get to see what initially caused it. So in, in chapter 16 of Judges, here's what happens. Do you know how it opens? He's with a prostitute. He's in the home of a prostitute, and he's sleeping with a prostitute. And then enters who? Delilah. Now, Delilah, uh, he's, he's already compromised his Nazarite vow by being with this prostitute, but also he's falling in love with Delilah, who is a part of the enemies of God, a part of the, the people who are the enemies of God. And so again, he's supposed to be separated unto God to lead Israel, and here he is messing around with people who are the very enemies of God. And what happens next? Of course, you know the story. Uh, the Philistines come to her and they say, you've got to, you've got to bind him. You've got to find out what the secret of his strength is so that we can capture him, right? And so what does he tell her first? He says, seven fresh bowstrings. If you get seven fresh bowstrings and tie me up, there's nothing I can do. So what does he do? He falls asleep. She ties him up. They come in. Samson, Samson, the Philistines are here. He breaks free and, you know, he's all good. And then uh, she says, okay, okay, now what? And he says, new ropes. If they're brand new ropes, all right? Like, still have the price tag on them, that's what I need, all right? So wraps him up in the ropes. What, of course, happens? He shakes them off. No big deal. Then she, then she says, okay, look, I love you, and you're really mocking me here by not telling me the truth. And, uh, and so what really is the truth? And she, okay, if you braid my hair, all right? braid my hair and I'm good, alright, like that will take my strength away because you can't fight when you look that pretty, right, and so she braids his hair up, pins it up and everything, and of course, that's not the secret, so what happens next, look at verse 16 through 17, Judges 16, 16 through 17, and when she pressed him hard with her words day after day and urged him, his soul was vexed to death, husbands, do you, oh no, the wives are in here, we'll talk later, uh, verse 17, and he told her all his heart and said to her, A razor has never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. You see in verse 16, he knew, he knew what Delilah was doing. He knew the temptation that was there. He knew the compromise that was there with her. He knew the danger of it, and yet he sat there anyway, and what one? The compromise one. Verse 17. It says, He told her all of his heart. What does that mean? That means that his, whatever affection that was left focused on God, it's now all gone. It's all now focused on what he wants. And Delilah is what he wants more than God. And what happens? We see, uh, we see next that she cuts his hair. Now, why was cutting the hair the final straw? Okay, like, he did a lot, all right? Like, he, he, he was around the corpses, um, you know, like, he, he drank the, the fruit of the vine, he slept with these prostitutes. Why cutting your hair? Why was that a big deal, right? You know what I mean? Like, I'm pretty sure if I came home one day and I was like, uh, honey, look, I was with a prostitute today, but I didn't, look at my hair, didn't cut it. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think that would be okay. Why is cutting the hair the big deal, Right? Well, here's why. It's because when a, Le when, when a Nazarite was done with their time of serving the Lord, when their time of whatever God had called them to was over, they would cut their hair, and then they would give it back to God. They would sacrifice it. They would burn it. And so in essence, what he's saying is that the last bit of my devotion, the last bit of my affection for you is gone. 
Now it's to Delilah. Now it's to what I want. No longer what you want. Now it's what I want. And so that's, that's what happens. And, and we see in verse 20, he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as other times and shake myself free. No big deal. But what does it say next? But he did not know that the Lord had left them. Compromises eat at your integrity and they just chip away and chip away and chip away at your heart until finally you're in a place and you go, how did I get here? How in the world did I get here? Is anyone else like that? You've let compromise after compromise, just little steps further and further away from the truth of God until finally you stand there one day and you go, how did I get here? Anybody? Anybody who thought like, you know, how did my anger get this bad? How could I have said that to my child? Like, how could I have spoken to my family like that? Where did I, how did I get this far? Like, I, how, did, how did my drinking get this bad? You know, how, how did my relationship with, with my family, with my friends, how did I get so far from them? How, how, how in the world have I become so inwardly focused and, and I, don't even, I don't even feel any affection for Jesus anymore? How did I get there? It's, that's, that's how compromise works. I had a roommate um, in college who was recently arrested um, for meeting up with an underage uh, boy that he met online for sex. And I knew this guy. And I'm sure he didn't just one day wake up and be like, man, I love my life and I love Jesus. Now I'm going to go do this. His is a story of compromise. I remember the compromises that he made in college. I remember the little things where his thoughts became more and it, where his thoughts were more and more focused on his physical desires. And ten, then they turned to the Internet. And I remember his thoughts and his mind were focused more and more on that. Until finally he had to make physical contact with someone. Until finally it was even more than that. He just, had, he just had to have a physical encounter, period. And he didn't care even about this boy's age. It didn't matter to him. How did he get there? Compromise over and over again. So ultimately, where did compromise lead Samson? Check this out. Uh, picking up in verse 28. Then Samson called the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested, and he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all his strength, and the house fell upon the Lord's and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he killed during his life. Look at verse 28. What's his prayer here? He's saying, God, give me the strength to, to punish these Philistines. Why? Because they've wronged you, God. No, no, no. Why? Because they gouged my eyes out. He's asking for revenge. That's his prayer to God. His affections are so far from God that it's not about him. It's about, it's about Samson now. Like, they've gouged my eyes out, and I want revenge. And we see in verse 30, what does he say? He says, let me die with these Philistines. He's saying, I'm done. I am done. So the, the end of Samson's life is what? It's a vengeful suicide is what he asked of God. And God was gracious and gave him that. And so who's the biggest victim of compromise and lack of integrity in your life? Who's the biggest victim? You are. We all are. We are. If, if you compromise yourself and you let that integrity lack in your life, no longer are you going to live a life of freedom and purpose and meaning, just like Samson. Now it's, it's, it's over. We see in, in, uh, in verse 30 it says that the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he killed during his life. What does that mean? He was more useful to the cause of God in his death 
than in his life. He could do more for God dead than he could alive. I don't want that to be said of me. God, may that never be able to be said of me. That God, my heart would be so focused on you that I would, my, my affections and my, my, my life would be so focused on you that God, what you could accomplish in my life would be so much greater than what you could accomplish in my death. But Samson's life ended that way. Um, no longer did he live a life of purpose and meaning in God. He lived a life that was about himself and his meaning was gone and his purpose was gone and he ended up in this place where he said, God, just let it end for me. And may that not be said of us. So did Samson say, like when he's younger and he's leading Israel and he's a judge, did he say, you know what? One day I hope that I die amongst a bunch of Philistines in a vengeful act of suicide. That's what I want, you know? Like, no. It was compromise after compromise. Have any of you ever walked an aisle that said, I'm giving my heart to Jesus so that one day it can flame out and I go to church on Easter? No. Did anyone say, I'm giving my life to Jesus so that one day it becomes more about what I can do for Him rather than just enjoying and loving Him? No. It's compromise seeps, just seeps into our life over and over again. And when we aren't people of integrity, when we don't live consistently, we make compromise after compromise, we all of a sudden become people that we never had intentions of being. And we sit there and we go, how did this happen? And you think about Titanic. Now, when you think about Titanic, go ahead. No, funny, not that one. Okay, there we go. All right. When you think about Titanic, right? Um, when you think about how it sank when it hit the, the iceberg, what we originally thought was that it just made a huge gash, you know, down in these, these, airtight, uh, uh, these airtight reserves here. And instead, what they found out in about 1997, when they finally were able to get down there and dig to it, they found out that it was little small slits that were poked in to each one. Uh, of these reserves. And so, so what had happened was that um, these watertight holes, um, each one of them was, was penetrated and was pierced. Just one, one little time after another. No big deal. One little compromise. No big deal. Just another little compromise. But they're strategic compromises. They're big compromises. And it brought down this giant ship. And I think that like we... Man, we're so good in the church about fighting big battles, but then in our own lives, like, we're losing the little ones. You know what I mean? I had a friend of mine who was super serious about social justice. Whenever he watched the news and he saw, like, people suffering, whether it be in Haiti or anything like that, he would fight those battles. Or when he saw, like, kids in Memphis that don't have food, he would fight that battle. I've got to bring them food. But when he went home, he lost the battle of being a good husband. He lost the battle of, of leading his wife. He lost the battle of serving in his church. And so, you know what happened to his life? His, his zeal for Jesus flamed out. It faded. It went away. Because he wasn't focused on fighting these little compromises in his life. And so, here's what I want us to do. In the next couple minutes, I want us to look really quick. How do we protect ourselves against compromise? How do we protect ourselves and, and, and stay a people of integrity? The first thing, humbly fall on the grace of Christ. Humbly fall on the grace of Christ. Check this out. James chapter 4, verse 6. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You might be saying, I'm the story of compromise, Grant. Like, like I, I, it's really hard for me to sit here. Uh, this is me, okay? I am Samson, right? Like, I am the story of compromise. I've let this come into my life, and this come into my life, and now I don't know how I got here. The good news is we serve a God of grace. 
And the first thing that you can do to restore that integrity, to restore that, that, that single-mindedness, that purity of heart, humbly fall on His grace. Say, God, I am a man of compromise. I am a woman of compromise. Be gracious to me. Lead me out of that life. Lead me to a life of integrity. So humbly fall on His grace. Receive that grace and keep going. The second thing, daily commit to being in the truth. And what is the truth? The Word of God. Check this out. Hebrews 4.12. For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and, uh, and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Here's the reality. If you try to come and lie to me, I'll probably catch you. I'm really good at catching liars because I used to be a really good liar. And so it's really hard for you to lie to me. However, there's a part of me that's still a really good liar. And what I mean by that is I can lie to myself all day long. And you can too. No one can fool me better than I can. I can justify anything in my mind. I can make myself feel good about where I am. Like, oh, it's no big deal. This isn't really a compromise. It was, it was something I couldn't go without. You know, I, I had to do this. I had to say this. But the reality is, when you are daily committed to the truth of God, when you come face to face with the truth, it's not always easy. However, you can't lie to yourself anymore. You see the reality of the truth. And you, it pierces through your deceptions. It's kind of like when you look in a mirror, you, can't, you can lie to yourself all day and say, man, I look good, okay? Like, I know I put my makeup on in the dark while I was driving a car, you know what I mean? But I look good. And then when you face that mirror, I do not look good, right? Like, you can't ignore that truth. You can't ignore that reality. Uh, and so it's daily committed to being in the truth. And the third thing is daily committed to live truth. Um, James 1, 22 through 25. Where's Chris Ellison? He can quote this. Okay, all right. James 1, 22 to 25. But be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he looks like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So what it's saying is that see what the truth says, says in here and then do it. React. Do what it's calling you to do. It's like when we talked about anger. If you opened up to Matthew chapter 5 and it talks about harboring anger against your brother, don't just go, yeah, that's a good point. But instead go, okay, am I doing that? Examine yourselves and make a change. It's almost as ridiculous what it's saying. Like you go up and you look at a mirror and you go, okay, yeah, no, I see these. I need to fix this. My hair looks weird. Uh, I got this zit I need to take care of. And then you just walk away. And you say, I don't know. Do you look good? I guess. I don't really remember. It's saying that the truth of God is a great thing, but it won't mean anything unless you do it. And so if you want to be a person of integrity, not only come face to face with the truth of God, but do what it's calling you to do. And the more that you live out truth, the less comfortable with deception you will be. Isn't that true? The more you're about truth, the more you're about the goodness of God, the less comfortable and accepting you will be of deception in your own life. It'll protect you. The fourth thing, avoid areas of temptation that lead to compromise. What I mean by that is set barriers. You know your weaknesses better than anyone else. I don't know your weaknesses. You're like, oh, thank God. I don't, all right? Like, I don't. Otherwise, I'd put them up here. I really would. No, uh, I don't know your weaknesses, but you do. So avoid them. Set barriers between you and them so that you don't fall into compromise. Some of you, uh, gossip is a hard thing for you. And you know that every time you go out to dinner with this group of friends, that's all you're going to be doing. Set a barrier there. Don't eat with them any longer. 
And you might say, really? Yes. What's more important, your commitment to God or your commitment to them? So set a barrier. For some of you, uh, uh, maybe, maybe it's a lust issue. Maybe it's a, an, an area of, of, of you can't control uh, your thoughts as you look at, uh, at other people. Then maybe you need to find out where, where are the times you lust the most. Where are the times where you're out of control the most? Avoid those situations. Maybe there are situations at work. Uh, maybe there's some people that are around you that, that compromise you and pull you down. Avoid those situations. Build a barrier and you say, and then, now hang on a second, that seems really severe. Really? The Bible says this about temptation. 2 Timothy 2.22 Flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness. Flee youth. It says run away. Okay? There's a great story of Joseph and he's uh, with Potiphar's wife. And Potiphar's wife is a really nice looking lady. Alright? And so she's coming on to him over and over again. And he's like, no, 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 no. And finally one day... Uh, she's got him alone, and she grabs him, and she literally is pulling his clothes off, okay? And so as she's doing that, what does he do? I'm going to sit here. I know it's a temptation, but I'm going to sit here. I'm going to pray. I'm, gonna, I'm, really, I'm just going to fight it. I'm just, what does he do? He gets out. He runs. He flees, right? He runs away butt naked, all right? I'm, that's from the Bible. Don't get mad. He runs away, right? Like he leaves his cloak behind. He's like, no, I don't have time, okay? I'm not going to be compromised. My focus is on God. My focus is on, on his plan for me. I'm not going to be compromised. And he flees. In the same way, you know your weaknesses. Flee that temptation. The fifth and final thing, which is so important, and we never talk about in church, but it's very important, accountability. Accountability helps us see those inconsistencies in our lives that we can't see. You might think that you're doing great, and you're the greatest person, whatever. But thank God I have friends in my life. There, there are times where I might say something, or I might do something, and I, and I think there's no big deal, no big deal. I didn't do anything wrong. And they'll say, hey, shouldn't have done that. Shouldn't have said that. They help you see those inconsistencies in your life. The Bible says this about accountability. Proverbs 27, 17. Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. That tells me two things. One, we need each other. Iron doesn't sharpen itself. You need each other. You need someone in your life. I'm not talking about your spouse. That's a wonderful thing. But I mean, you need someone in your life. Guys, you need another male. Women, you, you need another woman that you can talk to, and you can be open with, and you can share your weaknesses with, and support one another with, and challenge one another with, and spur each other on. Um, and so we need each other. The second thing, sometimes it's a harsh process. Iron sharpening iron that doesn't sound like a nice thing. You know, that doesn't sound like rub two teddy bears together, right? Like, it sounds harsh. And sometimes it is. Sometimes it is hard to say the truth to others. But as we do it in love, and as you, as you uh, open yourself up to that, you really are strengthening your resolve. You're strengthening your ability to resist temptation, resist compromise, and be a person of integrity. And I'll tell you this. If you don't have a person of accountability in your life, you don't have friends like that, you don't have someone that you can, you can say, this person helps me, this, is, this is person is a partner with me in accountability, then you are greatly, greatly vulnerable right now to compromise. You are greatly vulnerable to self-deception. You need that. The scriptures tell us you need that. I greatly encourage you to try to find that soon. So my prayer for us this morning is that we'll be people of integrity, we'll be people of consistency, and we'll recognize that there's freedom in that. There are several different people in this room right now. As the band, band come on up, and as they're coming up, there's several different types of people in this room right now. Some of you are, um, are people who you say, Grant, I am a person of compromise. I'm, I'm here. I don't even know how I got here. I look back. I don't remember all the compromises I made to get here. The good news is there's the grace of God waiting for you today.
There's the grace of God for you to say, I, I turn from that. I want to be a person of integrity, and I will own up to what I've done. I'll own up to all of it, and I give it to you, God, and I trust your grace. I trust your forgiveness. So some of you need to do that today. You need to recommit yourselves to be a person of integrity, a person of truth. For some of you in this room, you are a person of integrity. My prayer is that God would strengthen that resolve in you. My prayer that God would, would strengthen your relationship with whoever's holding you accountable, whoever's sharpening you. My prayer is that God would protect you and continue to protect you from temptation and, and give you the ability to flee. Um, there's some of you, though, your whole life is about compromise because you don't know Jesus. Like, like I'm not saying that you don't come to church. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that you don't go to Sunday school. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that your life, Monday through Saturday, Sunday afternoon through Saturday, is all about you. It's all about what you want. It's all about doing what you have to do to get what you want. What that tells me, according to the scriptures, is that you don't follow Jesus. And you don't know his love. You don't know his grace. You don't know what it's like. You don't know the freedom of knowing that before a holy God, I can stand and say I'm righteous and I'm pure. Not because of what I've done, but because of what he's done. That grace, that forgiveness, that new life that Bill was talking about, it's available to you today. And you say, you don't know who I am, okay? You don't know, you don't know what I've done. You don't know where I'm coming from. I don't. It doesn't matter. Because the reality is, the grace of God, the love of God, is greater than your failures. And he's waiting today to give you a new life. A life of freedom. A life of joy. A life of purpose. A life of meaning. So as we sing this song, we're about to sing, as we sing this song, I'm going to be down here, Brother John will be down here. If you want to come talk to us, maybe some, some people need to come and use this as an altar and just pray and say, God, I'm a person of compromise. I want to be a person of integrity, a person of truth for you. Maybe you need to come and pray and give that back to God. Maybe some of you uh, need, to, need to come and, and pray for others. Maybe, you see, maybe if you see someone up here, come pray with them and say, I'll stand next to you. I'll hold you accountable. And for those of you who don't know Christ, your whole life is about compromise because you don't know Him. You don't have a new life in Him. You can today. You can know His love today. Right here. So you come forward and you tell us that. You say, I want to know that life. And we'll talk with you and we'll pray with you. And you can leave here knowing that you are loved by the eternal God. You're forgiven by the eternal God. And you have a new purpose and a new life and a better one than the one you walked in with. The burdens, the guilt, the shame you walked in with, you can walk out without them by the grace of God. So you do what you need in this time. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, do what you're going to do. You always surprise us. You always move in a way that we don't expect. Do what you want to do. God, if there are those in this room, there are Christians who, God, we are just people of compromise. We, we, we just let little things slip in and slip in and slip in, and we're not fighting that battle at home. We're not fighting that battle in our own hearts to be people of integrity, to, to keep your truth above all things. God, would you just convict our hearts, break our hearts over that right now, so that, God, we can say to you, we accept your grace. We're sorry. We accept your grace. We embrace your grace. God, teach us to be people in the truth and about the truth, living out the truth. And God, if there are people in this room who don't know you, they don't know your truth, they don't know your freedom, they don't know your forgiveness and your love and your mercy, God, wreck their hearts and draw them down front so that they can experience for the first time 
your love, your forgiveness, your acceptance. May they not believe the lie that they're too bad to come to you. May they know the truth that your love and your grace is greater and it's always greater than anything we can do. So God, draw people to you.